Hey, everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. So what happens to your music career when you become a mom and hit middle age? We're going to talk about all that and a lot more on today's Music Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. And Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. If you want to learn more about the podcast and look at previous episodes and upcoming events, visit musictherapypodcast.com. If you want to help out the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. That helps us get Uh, in front of other people so that they learn about the show and helps us grow. That's like probably the number one thing you could do to help us out is go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave us a review. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, It has been much, much prettier here in Chicago, which, which has been a very big mood lifter for myself, I know, and I know a lot of other people too. We took a little break from the podcast last week because our engineer, Joshua Wentz, was out. Uh, he was in New York, so we took a week off, but we're glad to be back. I hope you guys have been hanging in there and hopefully getting some good weather as well. A little bit of a public announcement. My band is looking for a new flute player. Our flautist uh, and vocalist, Jen Romero, we are very sad to to share that she's moving to Portland, um, which is great for her. It's sad for us. And we also need a new flute player and female vocalist, hopefully in the same package. And we need someone by uh, June 2nd because we're playing a show at Cole's on June 2nd. So if you're if you're thinking about if you're thinking about raising your hand, don't hesitate. Let us know. Go to musictherapypodcast.com and fill out our contact information. And, uh, and, and let me know, let me know. And then we can chat or you can message me on Instagram at Jessica Risker. Um, also if you have questions for music therapy, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, send it to musictherapypodcast.com in the contact, uh, ask us a question and we'll get it answered for you. We'll do our best. Okay. Enough of that. Let's get to today's interview. Today I'm talking with Chicago singer songwriter, Angela James. And, um, this was a really interesting interview because even though Angela delivers her thoughts in this very calm and collected way, we actually talk about some pretty wild topics. We get into psychedelics, we get into death and end of life, postpartum depression and psychosis. We also talk about her beautiful new album and how her relationship with making music has changed over time with getting older and with becoming a mom. Let me share her bio, and then we'll go to the conversation that I had with Angela James. So Chicago-based singer-songwriter Angela James has released four LPs and one EP since beginning her musical career in 2011. Her most recent release, Now That I Have You, co-produced with David Vanderveld, who is also known as Father John Misty, was released on April 22, 2022, and showcases her songwriting and musical range from stark original Appalachian-style balladry to lush, layered arrangements with renowned improvisers. Her music has been praised by the Chicago Reader, Chicago Tribune, NPR, and Tiny Mixtapes, and she lives in the secret Chicago neighborhood of Budlong Woods with her partner Jordan Martins and daughter Hattie. She's going to tell us about that secret neighborhood, too, and where that is, and a whole bunch more. And we're also going to hear some music off her new album, Now That I Have You. So let's turn to my conversation with Angela James. 
Hi. Hi. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, how are you doing? I'm okay. You know, it's been, it's been a, um, you know, rough couple of days just in terms of news and uh, we're going through a lot of family turmoil that seems like it never stops. So, uh, yeah, I'm having sort of an anxious period. Like I'm, I'm like feeling my anxiety is very uh, present right now. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let me, let me start off with my, um, my first question and, and we'll get into some of that stuff. My first question that I ask everybody just to orient us to kind of who you are and what your life looks like these days is what is a, can you describe a typical week for you these days? Yeah, I, um, I work a lot of different jobs. So, um, one job that I do is I teach uh, therapeutic uh, yoga privately to a handful of elderly people. Mm -hmm. um, and they all have some physical limitation be besides just being, I think my youngest client is 75. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I drive... Three of my clients are in High Park, so two days a week I'm up really early, and I go to High Park. I live um, in a neighborhood called Budlong Woods that nobody knows where it is, but it's like north north of Lincoln Square. Um, and yeah, every day is different. And I also teach early childhood music at a um, a daycare and a preschool, uh -huh. and so I do that a couple of days a week. Um, I have a five-year-old, and so she goes to school, which is kind of amazing and also has its own challenges in terms of uh, just your, your, your days and your times being kind of in these very particular increments, right? It's like, I've, th this is the amount of time that I have anything to do or get done. Like, uh -huh. um, But it is wonderful to have a child that's school age because, you know, I, I do know I'm going to have that time. Um, I mean, given the last couple of years, like that's not necessarily been a given, but. Um, right. How long is she in school? She's in school from like 8.15 until 3. Okay. And she goes to a Quaker school in Edgewater called the Chicago Friends School. That's a really lovely, I think Quaker education is amazing. And um, there's a very small, very quirky Quaker schools on the East Coast are very fancy, uh -huh. uh, but I would not characterize the school as fancy at all. <laughs> um, and it's kind of scrappy and quirky, but Quakery, which um, those values, I'm I really uh, I'm into that as far as education goes. And up until recently, my mother-in-law, who has advanced dementia, um, was living with us. And uh, so her, her care was kind of part of our, our, our living equation. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's been two months since she moved to a facility. And my father-in-law is still here, and he just had heart surgery. So um, we've been kind of circling the wagons. We live in sort of a family compound. So my in-laws are on the first floor, my partner, Jordan, and 
my daughter Hattie are on the second floor, and then my sister-in-law is on the on the third floor. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, let's see. There's there's different directions I want to ask you about. <laughs> and you you had referred to a lot of things going on in your family recently. Is that part of what's been going on? Yeah. At one point, like the week before my record was released, Uh um, my father-in-law was having open heart surgery in one hospital. And then my (laughs) mother-in-law, a different hospital, bless you. Thank you. uh, uh, Because she had pulmonary embolisms in both lungs. And uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it's like everything. And my sister-in-law was exposed to COVID that week. So she couldn't, you know, she couldn't help. Um, so it was kind of a perfect storm. I'm so fortunate that my parents, while they live very far away, are um, totally beyond game to take Hattie to, and they live live on a farm. So it's sort of this idea, like it's the farm that I grew up on. It's the farm my mother grew up on. It's the farm her father grew up on. Oh, wow. But, it is a really lovely place. And so Hattie got sent away. (laughs) Um, And, but we were just bouncing back and forth between two hospitals. And, you know, in in my mind, I was like, oh, I've got this week, you know, before the show where I don't really, by design, I didn't have a lot going on. Yeah. Um, And then that all happened kind of at once. And, um, which feels a lot like what my creative practice is right now. It's like, I'll have, I'll have an idea of like what I want to do or, and then, you know, uh, life intervenes. Right. And so it becomes, it becomes this, like, I don't want to say a struggle, but it is a challenge to get things accomplished. Um, but I, I've started sort of just making work about that challenge. Um, and so on this new record, uh, you know, there's there's a handful of songs that are just sort of about that. Like, you know, I just repeat, I don't have time over and over and over again. And and it becomes a, a really, uh, like, again, I don't know if it's out of desperation or like, you know, I've matured as an artist. And so I'm like, I figured out a way to creatively um, process it. Uh-huh. But yeah. It, it feels it's like the timing was really bad, but I'm also like, well, this is what I make work about. So, you know, when did you write the songs that are on this album? I started, um, so the sort of manifesto song of the record portrait of the artist as a middle-aged mother. Uh-huh. I started when my daughter was an infant. I had just I had horrible postpartum depression, which sort of, took me out for like eight months. And I remember just sitting down and strumming like an E chord on a guitar and Mm -hmm. I'm tired. And that was like the first song for the record, but that's all I wrote for it. So that was, that was 2017 at some point. And then I didn't finish that song until last summer. Okay. Um, so I would say any anywhere between you know, uh, winter, uh, late winter of 2017 to last summer. It's kind of the span. Can I? Are you comfortable sharing what your postpartum looked like? Absolutely. I mean, my I, so the record I released before this was a record of lullabies, and I 
any sort of press that I, I wrote those lullabies in the midst of postpartum depression. Uh Um, so I would just sing these melodies to myself just to kind of keep me tethered while I was, my daughter was a terrible sleeper. So, um, that not the, not obviously played into what was difficult. Um, and so I talked about postpartum depression, you know, all, it's in like all of 2019, I, I was talking about postpartum depression. So uh-huh. I'm more than comfortable talking about it. And I think what's amazing just in the last five years is that so many more people, women and their partners, because I feel like, um, you know, it's one thing for someone who's experiencing it directly to talk about it. But I think it's very confusing. Uh-huh. For people. It's very particular. And I have struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life. And it was very different. It was a very different experience. Um, How was it different? It, the onset of it um, was sudden and it was psychosis. You know, it was this like very particular, um, I feel like I can, I can, I've, I've had several mental health crises, 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 crises uh-huh. <laughs> throughout my since my 20s and I can kind of feel them come on right it's like there's you get through a certain number of them and there there are patterns right Uh and this had no pattern it was just I mean it was hormonally driven right so it was just like this huge shift and then um you know it, it 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 you can't imagine like not wanting to touch your child right it just feels like this completely a uh, foreign thing, but I was afraid to touch her. You know, I thought that I was going to like hurt her or not, you know, not intentionally, but I just didn't right. think I was a trustworthy human being. Was that your anxiety? Yes. I just also felt like it would, like, I just, yeah, it was anxiety. It, it's hard to put, like, it was postpartum depression, but it was also postpartum anxiety. I just mm-hmm. couldn't. I just felt like I couldn't be trusted. Um, and that's not something I have experienced, had experienced before with, with mental illness. Um, again, there's, there's sort of a more gradual process where I could be like, okay, like right now I'm, I'm in this like anxious phase where like my partner Jordan last week, he was like, you're running a little hot right now. And I was like, yeah, I know. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying, you know, it's like, do I need to, tweak my medication. You know, it's like, you can kind of feel where it's headed. Yeah. Postpartum was just like, you know, out of nowhere. And then what was different too, is that once I got treatment, it was pretty fat in terms of feeling better. Um, What what was the treatment that you got? I um, found an amazing therapist who is still my therapist who... Uh specializes in postpartum mood disorders uh-huh. and um i got on medication so i was just put on sertraline or zoloft uh-huh. um and i stopped trying to breastfeed which i think was definitely a part of the treatment like my my primary care doctor who is who diagnosed me first uh-huh. um was basically basically told Jordan and I that I was I was no longer going to wake up at night and that you know basically I needed sleep right and mm-hmm. that wasn't happening 
Um, so letting go of, of that, which is, which was difficult, but also I think really crucial to, to recovery. How, when you look back on that period of your life now, how do you, how do you remember it or how do you feel about it now? I don't remember a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, I remember flashes. Yeah. I'm very, um, uh, very worried about acid reflux and very obsessed with it. Like it was a very particular thing, and like I could get, I couldn't get. And I remember a little thing like that. I feel. Um, I'm, we're not having any more children for a number of reasons. That's part of it because it it was very scary. I think I can't really engage, you know, I feel like there's been several movies made in the the last handful of years about postpartum psychosis. Um, There's sort of more, I think, media about it. It's like, I don't have any problem hearing somebody's story about it or reading Mm -hmm. it, but if I see some sort of, dramatization of it, it's still very difficult for me. Um, because I don't, I don't recall so much of it. Like so much of it is just in in this kind of misty, um, place, but I am also, um, it, you know, it's hard. It's like, I don't want to say it taught me a lot, but I also began to understand myself on this really, uh, crucial level because of it, like more so than, I think it caught, it allowed a deeper level of acceptance of my own struggle with mental illness. Mm-hmm. But again, it's been going on. I, I had my first sort of big crisis, twenty one, um, and I think my recovery from postpartum was the first time in my adult life where I kind of saw myself, and I didn't blame myself. Didn't mm-hmm. think anything wrong with me, you know, because I struggle with mental illness. So in that way, you know, I'm. It's, it, it, like being grateful for it or whatever, it being a gift or like, you know, it's like, I don't believe that's true, but uh, it did teach me a lot. And I also still don't get up in the night when my daughter needs something, except last night I got up because he had to be put back to bed and Jordan usually gets up with her and he just was so tired. She's really, she's really interested in scary things right now. So she wants yeah. to, scary things but then she's waking up at like 2 30 you know terrified um how you know you've been doing music for a long time I'm curious um before you had your daughter did you have any feelings about how these different pieces of your life might all fit together uh, I, I was, I always kind of felt adrift. Like I didn't do it for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, I've always been a singer, but I, I hadn't written any music. I, I kind of had some, some pretty deep, um, imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. Um, and then I feel, but I also, you know, live in Chicago where collaboration, there's just, I mean, it was so easy just to be, a novice here and, and then play, um, with really incredible musicians and learn so much. So I always felt like I was learning and growing. I don't think I understood 
what I wanted to make art about, I guess. Uh-huh. I just sort of writing what, whatever songs happen. Now I feel like I have more of a vision and a more of an understanding of what I want, um, which is sort of a much broader thing than being a singer-songwriter. I feel like a, being a singer-songwriter is like, at this point, a, very, a small part of that. Uh-huh. Um, and caregiving and, uh, and being a parent, caring for somebody that's at their end, the end of their life has really kind of clarified so many things. Whereas before, I just... I was like, I'm doing this because I feel like I have to do it to, to feel complete as a human, but I don't want from it. Um, and now I don't feel that way. What, how do you feel about it now? Can you, is there a way you can describe what it changed into? I... I'm interested in like the utility and the magic of music um, and really art in but in this very mundane way. So I think my my master plan is um, I'm go- I'm slowly school to get a master's of nursing and uh-huh. I want hospice care. I'm already working with older people, you know, and living with my mother-in-law who is dying very slowly. Um, it feels like there's a lot of different pieces of that. I've always sort of been interested in grief and dying. And um, so I'm really interested in, in how my, my master's thesis uh, however many years ago, 15 years ago, was about music and memory and how we use memory, like music to kind of hold our memories. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, you know, you know, there's some songs I can't listen to anymore because they become so charged with memory. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm, 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 I don't even ha- have appropriate language. Basically, I want to sing to people when they're dying, but not hymns, you know, I want, I want to improvise and create sort of ambient swells and tones and also, but also be, you know, have training so that I inject them with morphine. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. I want to kind of have this and, and, and be, you know, my, I teaching yoga for almost 18 years. So it's like having that contemplative practices and, um, I think is coming into play. So all of these little pieces of my life, um, you know, I, I feel like for a long time felt really haphazard. I'm like, why am I teaching yoga? Like, what am I, like, I was on a PhD track and I quit that and we moved to Brazil, like all, it's like all over the place. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, like there is this whole, there's this, you know, very particular thing that I'm supposed to do with my life and writing songs is part of it. Um, but I feel like I'm just at the beginning of, of what I think I know about what my relationship to music is. What is it about end of life phase that sort of attracts you to work? I think that we don't do it well. And so um, there's a lot of mystery, a lot of um, 
potential to understand our own relationships and what, for back of, lack of a better word for it, what love is and what, and what our, like what we share as human beings. And we don't, like death, we, obviously we're scared of it. You know, it's, it's the biggest mystery of all. And um, my uncle just passed away this week and it's a total mess. It's just, you know, there's land disputes involved. It's a total mess. And, and it's all because people were afraid to talk about it and people mm -hmm. were afraid to address it. Mm -hmm. And so now there's all complicated feelings. And I think grief is really complicated and we don't understand it and we can't talk about it. It's super tricky and it doesn't, it's not linear. And mm -hmm. um, I have always, I've never been afraid of um, being sad or talking to people about being sad. Mm -hmm. um, and so once I kind of realized that, then I felt like, well, if, if I'm not afraid of this and I have all of these things to offer, like I should, I should switch careers and I should, you know, and then I had a living situation that, you know, really opened my eyes to, oh, I'm actually I'm good at this. Like I, I'm, I'm good at sort of showing up and problem solving, but also just helping a family, you know, which happens to be my family, which is hard. And like the boundaries are difficult to maintain, but yeah. um, I just think there's, I think we could do better basically. And I don't think I have any answers necessarily. Um, but I, I feel very, uh, I feel very passionate about having to exploring that more and being a part of that exploration. Let me ask you about, um, your album. Um, now that I have you, and I'm asking that now, I know that, you know, some of the themes in the album very much tie in with, with what we're talking about now, some of what we're talking about now. My, my first question is, who is the you now that I have you? Oh, it's Hattie. It's totally Hattie. So can you finish the sentence now that I have you? Well, the song itself is all about, you know, um, it, this is, I, I mean, there are just so many cliches about parenthood and, and how, ex how much more expansive you feel and how the, your capacity to love and feel is just amplified in this particular way. But also like you're in this slog uh -huh. of, of like, you know, it's just it, it, like the rep the repetition and the minutia of it is just like mind numb. Uh -huh. And, um, so it's these, it's these weird dualities of like, I've never felt more alive and in love in my life. And also like, I never can finish anything ever. Like I'm never finished with anything <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and I don't have time, you know, but I also, my heart is just like this huge reservoir. And, um, so yeah, it's like, I, I, that that's so that that song is all about i mean there there are other songs i almost called the song or the record the caregiver because that's one of the songs on the record too and and that's the one 
repeats, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics are, I'm making a list of all the things I missed because I was holding you. You know, and I, I go through this list of things that I wish I could still do. I am making a list of all the things I
I wrote that song, obviously, from a place of frustration. Um, whereas now that I have you is maybe the only pure love song I've ever written. Um, uh-huh. But it's also like, you know, I think that the refrain is now that I have you, I don't worry anymore. No, that's not true. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just my heart is twice the size now that I have you. What are some of the, um, if you can remember some of the frustrations you experienced with. I'm still experiencing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, so th- I don't know how much you know about highly sensitive temperaments, but I just, um, Hattie is a highly sensitive person, as am I, and I didn't know much about it until uh, I started reading. I, ha- I think I have the book. The book is up here. Uh-huh. The Highly Sensitive Child. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think as a highly sensitive person, I get overwhelmed really easily. And so being overwhelmed, because I'm feeling everything and I'm just sort of in this very hypersensitive place, um, I feel what she's feeling and I feel what I'm feeling and I feel what Jordan's feeling. And I, it's like, I'm tracking everybody's feelings, mm-hmm. which makes, which makes me good. Uh, you know, it's why, why I'm a good caregiver because I'm very much aware of what people need on an in- intuitive level. But I also just get really overwhelmed by those feelings. And, and, and so it's, I think boundaries are the, the, chiefly the hardest thing for me um and yeah just not having not having your own time I think I just require a lot of um time and I don't have it and so it's also something it's like I chose this life you know what I mean it's like I I can complain about it but I also I wanted this right this is something I wanted and there's a lot of people out there that want it and can't have it for a number of reasons. And so I think my, my main focus is to be honest because I think, especially with social media, we just see these representations of life, whatever it is, whether it's parenthood or music or whatever, that it's just this really perfect, you know, existence and you don't see, you don't see the slog. And I'm like, no, this is a slog. (laughs) Like, yeah, monotonous slog. And, <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, it does. Are you? Um, <laughs> so Hattie's in kindergarten this year. Yes. Is this her first year of going away for any part of the day, or was she in any kind of pre-K or daycare before? She was in pre-K for a couple of months before COVID happened. Mm -hmm. I teach um, early childhood music at a um, preschool uh, that has a location in Logan Square where we used to live and has a location in Lincoln Square now. And Mm -hmm. so I, um, I think once she was three and some change, I talked to the owner and asked if, if she'd be open to a trade because there's no way that we could afford uh-huh. um, childcare. And she was really gracious as one's like, absolutely, let's do this. So um, I taught classes in exchange for her going to pre-K and she loved it. And then COVID struck. So she yeah. had a, she had a handful of months in pre-K and then we were all together for however many months that was. <laughs> and then 
she went back to pre-K at a certain point um, before kindergarten. Just hearing you talk about all the pieces of your life with all the work you're doing, all the family obligations and help that you're giving. You have a kid, you have a relationship, you're working on music. I'll focus a little bit on the music part, just in the spirit of the podcast, but um, how has it been for you this year with her going to kindergarten, having this window of time where she's not at home? And I'm sure it's filled, again, I'm kind of talking about, I'm sure it's filled with a lot of those different things, but how about for your creative practice? Has that felt liberating? Is there more time or not since she started school? I think that there's definitely more time and it's definitely more um, reliable time, right? Uh-huh. Like it's like, you know, school, school is a different, it, it's, it, I, again, some of that's changed, but school is a sure thing, right? It's, and I think because of our, the relationship I have with her preschool and, and it, you know, she wasn't full time, you know, it, it felt like, again, there were certain days of the week where I would have time. Um, but since she started kindergarten, things things got more complicated with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm also, I'm taking my last prerequisite for this master's of nursing. So I've also mm-hmm. been taking classes um, for the past year and a half. So it feels like I have less, time. I feel like it's a lot, like a lot of other things. Money, I think, functions the same way. When, when you have more, you spend more, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have more time, your time gets filled up Mm -hmm. and I'm not particularly great. I mean, I spend a lot of time outside. Um, and so I think that's kind of my main, my main kind of self care Avenue is I am in a complete and utter love affair with Lake Michigan. Uh I, I don't even know how to describe how much I love that Lake. I think it's so it, it, it brought me out of, you know, it, a mental health crisis about two years ago. And so I feel like I wish I had more time, you know, (laughs) I just, I, I, again, I feel like when you have a small child that's still so attached to you in this, not necessarily physical way, although Hattie really like, since she's so sensitive, I find that when she's overwhelmed, she literally clings to my body and my clothes and like, um, you just, you know, there's just less space for you. And then, you know, I hear parents with older children that are like, gosh, I miss those days. You know, my, my, my kid doesn't want anything to do with me. And I'm aware that that's like, that's coming. Um, and it's, it's both, you know, it's, you can want more of your own time, but also kind of savor the preciousness of the, the little one. Yeah, like today, you know, the sun was shining and uh, it wasn't, you know, particularly warm and spring-like, but she was riding her bike um, before dinner and then after dinner we went back outside and, and she she just said this, it was so cute. She was like, oh, I think it's just so nice to be outside um, before you go to bed. It's just a great way to end the day. And I was like, you're right. It really is. Uh, and it was just so sweet and lovely and like, you know, grown up. It was just a grown up way for her to process like the time we were having. Yeah. That's nice. Mm-hmm. 
that makes me think of the warmer weather that's supposed to happen next week. Um, yeah. Be a lot more bike rides. Let me ask you about, so we have a little bit of a bullet point list of things we're going to talk about. We've talked about several of them. Um, but let me skip to psychedelics. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about psychedelics. Yeah. What do I you love them. Do? You love them? I do. I think they're, I mean, I, I loved them when I was younger and sort of more interested in, in them recreationally. Yeah. Um, I, I call myself a recovering type A personality. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that most people like me don't enjoy psychedelics, but I actually really love losing control and not understand, like just kind of being like, what, you know, I just think it's like so instructive and so powerful. Um, and I'm, I'm also a, a really mystical person. And so I think that my psychedelic experiences have really, especially with grief and end of life, um, I'm primarily, that's another piece of, of, of the, my kind of master plan is, um, using psychedelics for grief counseling, which is not for everybody because it's intense, right? Grief in, its, in and of itself is also intense. And then it's like, okay, you're going to, um, have this psychedelic experience. But I, again, I think there's so much we don't understand about how we process our grief and how we think and feel about people that are dying or have died mm-hmm. and, and how even we can access those feelings. And, and what does it mean? Like that hole in your heart that you feel like, what is that? Um, and I think psychedelics are just a creative way to explore that. And it's, mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's much less frightening to, to explore that with, um, a, you know, it's a tool, I think. Um, like I, I had a really incredible experience with ayahuasca maybe about two months ago and mm-hmm. my mother-in-law who, you know, is, uh, I mean, she's herself in the sense that she's this luminous person. Um, but you know, in that experience, she, she was talking to me and she explained sort of my trajectory with end of life care and how she was there to sort of guide me through that. And it doesn't matter to me whether that's real or not, mm-hmm. right? It does not matter in one bit. To me, it was like, this is an important piece of healing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it has the potential to bring people solace and to bring a, a deeper understanding of what it means to be a human. And again, what it means to experience love and loss, Um and so, and it's great because it's, it's, you know, it'll be legal here soon. And I think, um, and you know, it's like, maybe we can get back to all the research that was done, um, you know, in the fifties and sixties, uh, which is already, you know, it's like all of those things are kind of happening again, although things are starting to feel very regressive. So I don't know, but I just think it's a tremendous tool and I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of slowly like doing psychedelic guide, being a psychedelic guide here and there. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of part of the, of the journey too. Cause I just, I think it's, it's just really powerful. Obviously, you know, if you do it too much, it's not a, doesn't have the same power. I think. Is there a, 
frequency that you think is sort of ideal? I think it's, I mean, it's so, I, I think what's so cool about it too, is that it is so particular to the person. Uh-huh. Um, I, and I think it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it, right? If you're trying to connect with your grief, I, I you know, you probably should just do it once and then give it a rest. Uh-huh. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I can't speak with any level of authority besides my own sort of intuitive, but you know, especially with ayahuasca, I'm like, I'm not doing that again for a while because I got so much out of it, but I was also, it wasn't, I mean, it's intense, right? It's like, how much can you put your body through, right? Uh Your, your body and mind through, but I know people that do it, you know, every month or every couple of months. Yeah. So it just depends. Well, let me ask you, here's another sort of bullet point, maintaining a creative practice throughout middle age. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's just something that I think about all the time, you know, because I feel my, I, I, I'm starting to feel tired in a way that like I didn't, I have not before. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say whether the, I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with that. I'm sure my living situation has something to do with that. I'm sure being a sensitive, a highly sensitive person has something to do with that. But yeah. I do, I am starting to like feel my age in, for the first time in my life. And so I think that that is, um, I'm 41 mm-hmm. and it really did start happening last year. Right. It's, it's like, it felt very classic where I was like, uh-huh. Oh, I'm 40. Uh, my body does not feel the same way. And I'm really athletic. Like I, 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 I feel, you know, it's like I teach yoga for a living. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a very healthy person, but I, I'm, and I'm not used to my body, like not quote behaving. So there's a level of exhaustion that I'm experiencing now at, at, you know, I would say early middle age, like creative practice feels like this extra thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, older musicians, especially, people who have just have a, had a long arc of their career and are yeah. still, you know, making work. And I think a city like Chicago was really full of those kind of people, which mm-hmm. is really exciting. And, and again, you can play with them, right? It's not like, it, it's such a beautiful city to, to live in because you can have these experiences with playing with sort of legendary people, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's not, um, I don't know. It's, it's a really beautiful place for collaboration and, and you can go see, you know, bands that I moved here for, right? When we, when we moved here from Brazil or we were like thinking about where we were going to move to and Jordan and I were both like, let's move to Chicago because there were all these bands that I think when we were in college and, and post-college, just sort of the indie rock scene here was legendary. And so... And you can still see those people just play music, right? It's like, it's it's pretty it's pretty special. But I am feeling tired, and so it's like, how how does how do you balance all of that, and how do you maintain an artistic practice with all of these other? Dem- I mean, I'm really feeling like middle age right now. It's like both of my in laws are ailing. Mm-hmm. You know, my my uncle just died, and and there's this really complicated estate thing that's going to go down and that that's my mom's responsibility. Sure. But like, she's getting older and like, you know, you, you just feel sandwiched right between caring for a young person and then 
providing care for your parents. Um, and it's exhausting. Yeah, that that is a lot. That does sound like a lot. Let me ask you about this song. Um, if you can talk about this song a little bit, the portrait of the artist as a middle-aged mother. Mm-hmm. Can you speak about the lyrics or yeah, I'm, that song? I did a you know I did a little bit in the beginning where it's like I wrote that lyric I'm tired and then mm-hmm. didn't didn't finish the song you know five years later four years later I come back to it but that song I mean I, basically I'm making the what I feel like is the best work of my career I had a lot of opportunities early in my career and that was great. But I, I was so new and I had just started writing songs and just started playing music and I didn't have the confidence. And now it's like, I'm making better work. I have more confidence. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, but I'm also, as I get older, like more invisible. I'm tired. I
And so their lyrics are basically like, I'm tired. I really need some rest. Um, it's fine. I know I'm not my best, but I'm free. I'm old. I'm getting past my prime, but I'm alive and I'm on fire. And so I, it's like, I feel this, I have a lot of ideas and which is again, like, it feels like this, this conundrum with parenthood too, where, Never, never have I felt more connected to like my, my capacity for love, uh-huh. but I'm also just like drowning in bullshit to accomplish. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> and with, with creativity, it's like, never have I had more ideas, but I just am tired and I don't have time. Right. right? And, and so, um, that's kind of like what the song's about, but then also it's mostly just about having, having those ideas. And, and especially I think being a, a, a woman, 
um, in music, uh, you know, there's just a lot of, I've kind of always done things my own way. Like I don't, I don't really fit any, I, when I was first kind of coming out, you were like, Oh, she's a country singer. And then they'd see me and they're like, no, she's, she's not, she's kind of dark and like weird. But then, you know, other people would be like, well, she's not weird enough. You know, so it's uh-huh. like, I never really like fit in, in any sort of particular genre and always kind of done things my own way. Um, but I think there is a, a certain pressure to present yourself a certain way when you're a younger female identifying person in, in a, in a youth dominant youth culture dominated like art form, like music. Mm-hmm. It. And I just don't care. You know, I, I think I probably cared a little and now I'm just like, no, I do not care. Nobody's looking at me. I can do whatever I want. And so there were, yeah, it's so liberating to, and, and like it's invisibility, but like with that invisibility comes, comes sort of this, this freedom to kind of do whatever you want and have it, have it not matter. Um, I wanted to ask you a question that was, that's geared towards, um, sort of in the spirit of the spirit of Mother's Day and talking about, you know, being a mom and a musician. One of the things that I, before I had um, my son, what I struggled with, how will I make all this fit together? You know, I was really worried about losing that creative part of my life. And I was wondering if you could speak to maybe a younger woman who hasn't entered the phase of life where she has a family yet, but wants that, but is concerned about how is my artistic side going to fit in? Because it's like you, you're saying, you've got a lot of stuff going on and stuff that you don't necessarily anticipate. What would you, what would you share with them or have them keep in mind as they're kind of pursuing music, but also hoping to have a family someday? I think what, what really flipped the switch for me on that, I went, I, I released, so I released my debut, debut record in 2014. And like I said, I got, I got a lot of like praise and and opportunities out of that. And I was on tour and I was opening for somebody that I felt was really successful, like in my mind. Right. And I, I was just listening to them talk and they didn't think they were successful. And then in that same year, I had the opportunity to meet like a couple of other sort of musical heroes of mine. Like, and again, it was sort of a backstage situation. And I like overheard a conversation or and, and in one case, this was part of a conversation. And they just didn't feel like they had made it, you know? And, and it's, it's like this carrot that keeps getting dangled in front of you. And at that mm-hmm. point in my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to have a child until I have a record label or a booking agent. All these things that I felt like were, you know, potentially in my future. And they never happened. Like, none of those things happened for me. Um, and and being in those situations with what I saw as more successful artists than me that still didn't feel like they were successful, I was like, well, there's no reason to wait mm-hmm. for the right, I mean, again, it's a cliche. It's like, there's no right time, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, for me, I was really scared of, of having a child Mm -hmm. in the midst of that time. And I think it it was just like, well, screw it. Like I'm going to do it. Like, I want both of these things. 
Yeah. And if I want both of these things, I will figure out a way to make them work. Uh-huh. And it's not going to be easy. Um, and part of the reason I released, so with this new record, I I got a grant from the city to release my second full-length record, which in my mind I was putting out. So I, I my whole idea was like, I, I'm uh, this is my sophomore record. None of these things happened that I thought were going to happen, you know, like didn't get a record label, didn't get a booking agent, all this stuff. But I'm going to tour while pregnant. And, and you know, it's like I had this whole like notion. And the songs on Time Will Tell are pretty much all questions about what happens to your career once you become a parent. Mm-hmm. Should you, be- should I become a parent? There's a whole, there's a song called Should I? Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, should I you know, basically tour or should I like, you know, put something in my empty womb? Like those are literally <laughs> from, that, from that song. Uh-huh. And, um, I was sick my entire pregnancy, so I didn't tour mm-hmm. and I played a record release show at Constellation the night, like the, the Western Avenue viaduct was torn down and it was like, and incur- I, I, I have a knack with record release shows. I love record release shows. They feel like this, like, spell like conjuring ceremony that I just love and I did that and then I gave birth a month later and you know uh had postpartum depression and then never put that record like it lived only on Bandcamp um until the pandemic and then you know I think Jordan was like hey the the lyrics to the title track of this song actually sort of speak kind of beautifully to the pandemic and I started listening to the record again and I was like oh my gosh this record was like a self-fulfilling prophecy Uh like I was so worried about what would happen to my career and guess what (laughs) like you know I didn't put this record out in the way that I thought I was going to but like my my creative output like this next record is answers to all those questions so I wrote a grant to put them out together and I got it. And so they really function as this like one record of, of, of a person that hasn't had a child yet and is wondering what happens to their creative practice. And then the new record is like, well, this is what it looks like everybody. And it's not always great. <laughs> um, but again, my heart is twice, twice as big as it used to be. Where can people go to listen to your music? Um, well, Bandcamp is always best because if you listen to it there, you can buy it directly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and their streaming situation has gotten better. Um, but it's all, it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's, you know, now that I have you, is, is every, I think everything is everywhere at this point. But Bandcamp. Go to, Bandcamp anybody is listening. Bandcamp. Let's, yeah, let's uh, promote Bandcamp. Um, I mean, for the time being, you know, I mean, they just got bought, you know, by... Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Well, yeah. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks. Likewise. Um, is, there, is there anything else that we should check in about before we wrap up tonight? Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it. I, I just... I. I I think that um, it's just really great to be a musician in Chicago, I think. And I, I think it's like, 
um, a really supportive place mm -hmm. to be a musician and to have a long career as a creative person, whether you've got a child or whether you don't, or whether you're in your 20, 20s or you're in your 50s. Like it, it feels like such a, um, yeah, supportive place. And this, you know, you doing this show and, and talking to people, I know you're not just talking to people in Chicago, but um, this this feels like the kind of thing that, you know, makes sense that it's coming out of Chicago because there is such a, there's such a, a warmth and kind of community of sharing here. Totally. And I've had so many guests say that exact same thing. All right. I want to thank Angela for her time and thoughts today. I hope you guys enjoyed that. As a mom myself, I find it very interesting to learn about how other moms are balancing their the, the rest of their lives with their artistic pursuits. I hope you guys are doing well. Reach out. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your questions. Musictherapypodcast.com. Please subscribe and give us a review. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. We'll see you guys next week. Peace and love until I see you again. Music